Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 307 with Dr. Ken Clark, and we dive deep into resisted sprint training. So the different ways we can decide on how we load our athletes when it comes to resisted sprint training, different cues, different methods, etc. So Ken dives deep into this topic. But just before we do get into this episode with Ken, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to collect, analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. Um, resisted sprints been the final point that I'd like to um, like to tap into. Again, I'm going to refer back to some things sure. that have been talked about in previous episodes with with cam joss who who broke down yeah. the 40 meter split and i think he presented it a very similar thing at um again at altis Altis getting a lot of love on this by the way um <laughs> Stu can well send deserved. me the, uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> Stu can send me the five pound in the post um but yeah he presented that and uh the 40 meter time and how he split it into uh, 10 20 30 and and where different exercises fit to actually enhance those qualities within them um, in them splits. But in that, and not maybe not having that as a um, as a structure, but I think it's quite nice because I've just tried to describe it as well as I could. But where does heavy, well, not heavy, but we can go with heavy first. Where does heavy resistance training fit in that model, as I've just described from Cam? Yeah, the, the resisted sprint training, I mean, I think undoubtedly, you know, you're looking at, the ability to apply initial uh, propulsive force in start and initial acceleration, which would be um, 10 to 20 yards, the first 10 to 20 yards. So uh, uh, also, you know, uh, Cam, that was an incredible podcast. I, I listened to that one with you. He he is an extremely bright guy. I've had some, some really good interaction with him. But um, yeah, I love the way he analyzes, you know, um, sprinting for team sport athletes. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the research, again, there's been several studies that have come out lately to, to name drop and, and give credit where it's due. But uh, J.B. Marin and his group, uh, Johan Lati has done some with um, rugby players and I think professional soccer players. Uh, one research group that I've been um, uh, proud to be involved with is with uh, Michal Cahill and John Cronin and looking at it in team sport athletes and high school males. So um, and, and so the research is starting to become pretty conclusive that heavy resisted sprint training in team sport athletes is, is effective for improving initial acceleration. And um, I've used it a lot uh, myself coaching team sport athletes, specifically American football players. We use it with the Westchester track and field team with our sprinters. Um, and I, I love it for a couple of reasons. So number one, you know, I, I think sometimes there's a, a complaint per se that, hey, if you really load up athletes heavy, that you're going to get some detrimental uh, technique changes. I, I think there's going to be some research that that shows that that's, you know, in the long term, what the long term transfer is, that that's just not, not the case. So I, I don't see any real negative long term transfer of changes in technique. Um, if anything, I would argue the opposite. So one thing we've noticed with our Westchester sprinters is if you do resisted um, sleds specifically and you've got the heavy load and the straps 
behind the athlete, it can actually give a really nice environmental constraint to say, hey, don't let your heels hit the straps behind you. Keep the, the thigh recovery in front of you as you kind of push punch with the thighs. So applying a lot of force down and back into the ground at the same time, keeping the thigh recovery relatively front side. So ironically, I actually love heavy resisted sprints almost as a technical cue for the athletes in addition to specific um, force producing capabilities. Um, and so uh, not only with our sprinters, with the team sport athletes I've trained and then some of the research I've been involved with, with uh, Michal Cahill and others, I, I think that you're seeing the ability to just basically uh, get off the line and, and apply a lot of force that it's, that's where it's really effective. Um, from the research that's out there, and then also uh, my own personal experience, and frankly, from my master's thesis way back when, I don't think it's as effective at top speed once you're past 20 yards. There's probably a little bit of, of debate about that. And I'm not talking, um, you know, heavy sled training. I, I, I don't personally do any resisted sprint training past 20 yards, although I know there's a lot of great coaches and other practitioners who do. So that's perhaps a little bit of area of you know, just um, debate. But um, to me, I think it's most effective zero to 20. And for those who, who are going to do um, resisted sprint training past 20, clearly there, I would think you would want to do it with relatively lighter loads. The, the one argument that I would um, totally buy or, or rationale, I suppose, that I would totally buy is if you're doing resisted sprint training and it's past 20 yards once the athlete is into the his or her upright um, mechanics, that, that it should be light. And I think it should be done with a waist harness to provide just a little bit of an environmental cue to, so that the athlete can feel that they need to bring the hips up and forward because the resistance is just pulling the hips down and back a little bit. So um, I know some coaches who do it past 20 yards, some really good coaches for that matter. And and the, the kind of the argument is, hey, we just do a little bit of light resistance to keep them projecting and pushing um, horizontally and, and also to give a, a good hip position or, or a good feel for how the athlete needs to keep the hips up and in. And, and that rationale, I, I think, would be justified. So not something that I do with, with the athletes that I coach, but but I, I think that the latter rationale there for doing light resisted sprints uh, at top speed, um, I think, is, is pretty reasonable. So so that's kind of my view. But um, but yeah, I, I think um, more and more um, coaches and, and, and researchers are going to get comfortable with loading up their athletes pretty heavy at the start. And, and, you know, even if the mechanics look a little bit different acutely, just knowing that, you know, in the long term, that's going to lead to good, um, good changes in the ability um, to apply force early on and, and, you know, good improvements in initial acceleration. Yeah. I remember JB talking about the acute versus the, the chronic adaptations sure. and not being, yeah. not being too scared with what you're seeing there and then, but, knowing that's going to pay off um, in the longer term. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, just to, just to hit the point I already said, you know, whereas perhaps, you know, five years ago, I, I would be scared of that. Now it is an active cue. Uh, again, uh, coach Jason Kilgore at Westchester that we give with our sprinters is, Hey, push hard through the ground. And then the thighs got to recover in front of you. Your heels shouldn't be clipping the strap. Feet don't clip the strap of the sled, if you will. It, it's actually, we've seen, from a technical standpoint, that that cue sometimes works better doing resisted sprint training for the start with our developmental sprinters than anything else as far as teaching them how the the 
the ground strike, but then also the thigh recovery needs to happen during initial acceleration. So I, I think it's got uh, multiple benefits. So. so anyone watching on YouTube will see me scribbling down notes. So I may have <laughs> missed this next bit and I may just, you may just be repeating it, but why don't you use resisted sprints after 20 meters? Did you already yeah. say that and I've missed it? No, I, I didn't say okay. that. Um, I mean, I guess part of it is just I, um, my own research experience. So my master's thesis looked at um, two forms of resistance sprint training, specifically for top speed. This was not uh, looking at initial acceleration. This was in um, uh, American uh, small college lacrosse players, male lacrosse players. And we did a, a seven-week uh, training study. And we all know training studies are difficult and there's some confounding variables. But um, ironically, we found that the athletes who trained without resistance, we did resisted sleds and resisted vests and then an unresisted group. And the group that trained unresisted made the biggest speed improvements. Um, and it actually, they they made bigger speed improvements than the group that that trained with resisted sleds. Now, um, the study wasn't perfect, no study is, but um, that just from that research experience coupled with, you know, the mechanics of, of um, speed and, and trying to emphasize a little bit more posture and the vertical force, um, that's kind of why I've gone away from doing resisted, uh, resisted sprints past 20 yards. So uh, again, putting my coaching hat on when we do resisted sprints, whether it's with the Westchester track team or with the team sport athletes I coach, they're they're typically, um, you know, 20, uh, 20 meters, 20 yards or, or less, basically. For those people that maybe haven't used this modality with their, and we'll go team sport athletes as an example. Sure. And you said that it was the biggest potential technical um, way to improve people technically. Um, early, early on, what, what would you what would you suggest? What where would you suggest people start with weights and um, and length of sprint and that type of thing to to start off with? Anyone that hasn't done this before? Yeah, great question. So I think that's really key uh, for anyone who's you know not just listened to this podcast, but you know has listened to all yours before, or just all the research that's out there on heavy resisted sprints. Um, diving right into really heavy loads of, you know, 60, 70, 80% body mass, uh, I think, you know, is, is clearly not a great idea. <laughs> like anything else, it's got to be, you know, uh, progressive overload, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, particularly for developmental athletes who, you know, you're not quite sure what their um, relative strength qualities are. So, um, with the team sport athletes that, that I'm working with, you know, we start at, at just like uh, empty sled just to get used to pulling the harness and that sort of thing. And then every week progress it a little bit more. And I just do either um, automatic timing system based timing or actually video based timing, just knowing what the distance and the, and the time is to get velocity measurements so that I know exactly kind of what percentage of maximum velocity they're at what what load is causing what velocity decrement because i think as a lot of um great researchers out there by matt cross and others you know you can't just put on a load as a percentage of body mass or just a load and and say hey we're progressing it this way the best way to do it given the different friction of surfaces etc cetera, etc cetera, is is to do it as a percentage of maximum velocity and, and what percentage decrease you're doing so um gradually i've just progressed it over the course of four to five weeks if I have an athlete for a, a long period of time until at about the fourth or fifth week, we're working at a load where the athlete is at 
roughly 50% velocity decrease. So that, that's where some of the literature is pointing as, um, as optimal loading for uh, doing the heavy resisted sprints. And so um, again, a gradual progressive overload building them up. I haven't had any problems doing it that way as far as athletes, uh, you know, uh, any increased risk of injury or athletes complaining. And, and from a technical standpoint, again, this is just purely qualitative with my coaching hat on and, and not my research hat. But from a from a qualitative standpoint, that allows the athletes to get a, a feel for it, for lack of a better term, to gradually get the feel for the load behind them and still running with, with good mechanics. Um, one other thing I want to point out, too, why I like uh, the resisted sprints from a, actually from a technical standpoint, with team sport athletes who have a tendency to spin the wheels really fast, like the you know high turnover at the start and initial acceleration, but they're just not completing their pushes, if you will. They're not getting anywhere. They're not projecting. The load behind them, the resistance behind them provides, again, a good um, cue or constraint or however you want to phrase it, that they really need to apply force and project out with their initial steps. And, and so for athletes that perhaps are spinning the wheels and not getting anywhere, or the, the limbs are recovering way behind them in initial acceleration, I think the sled actually is a really great teaching tool. The resistance sled is actually a really great teaching tool in addition to, to of course, the, the force producing capabilities that, that you're working on. So that was actually my next point. So we all know that in, especially in team sports, it's um, time's limited. Yeah. So using this as, as a teaching tool, could be the way to go to actually try to maximize the 50 minutes or the 20 minutes that you've got maybe per week to actually um, actually make some improvements, transfer onto the pitch, but the technical aspect as well. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think that's one of the areas where, you know, there's the most research that still needs to be done. And, and to a certain extent, it's a little bit of a, it's a difficult question to answer, but it's how to optimize your training time, right? That's like a really abstract question, but it, it's a great question. You know, as you just said, that, that's kind of like the million dollar question is, you know, whether you're in the off season or once you're in the in season, what gets you the most bang for the buck? I, I'm of a firm believer that you need to train both acceleration and top speed qualities on a regular basis, both for performance and to reduce the risk of injury. So I do think you need to hit both both qualities. But as it relates to um, acceleration, yeah, I think that potentially you're getting a lot of bang for your buck by doing some resisted sprint work as part of that. I, I think you wouldn't uh, I just opinion here and, and not um, quantitatively backed up. But I think you wouldn't want to do all resisted sprint training. I think, you know, you'd certainly want to um, do some resisted and some unresisted, you know, contrasting them potentially, that sort of thing. But but yeah, I think you would want to keep some of that in at a, at a lot of different parts of the of the training calendar. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. As I said, if you want to check out the full episode with Ken, which I would highly recommend that you do if you're interested in resisted sprint training, episode number 307 on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and look forward to chatting to you soon.